This is Talks with Tiger, and right now I've got on Dan Stasso, PhD. He's a doctor of psychoanalysis and neurofeedback. And since he's retired, he actually got to speak about something that's a little taboo. He got to talk about psychedelics for like the first half of the show, what he thinks about them, what he thinks the future is. And uh, it it made for a really interesting show because he's not just like, you know, some hippie talking about it. He's someone who spent 40 years in a, as a professional doctor, PhD person working on people talking about it. So it, it made for a really interesting show. I think you'll all really like it. And uh, if you want to support this, just follow me on social media. I'll throw some links in the description and just interact with posts, comment, like, share, retweet, anything helps. I appreciate it. Lots of love. And here's the show. All right. And Dan Staso, Dr. Dan Staso. Yes. How, how goes it? Pretty good. We recording now? Yeah, we're live. Would we're you live. want to give a brief introduction of who you are, what you're, what oh, you've been up to? Okay, yeah, I'm a psychologist, uh, retired now after 35 years, and um, my early practice was uh, doing inpatient psychiatric, and then I did outpatient for a long time, and then about 20 years ago, I discovered uh, neurofeedback, and nice. so uh, last 20 years, my career, that's what I did, and what's uh, that brain, brain training. Okay, and is that with uh, electrodes? Yes, but uh, sensors, and I, we don't call them electrodes. Okay, <laughs> We sensors. call them sensors. Yeah, I so like too, it. It's a little too scary for me. And you. so what got, what got you into that more of the talk therapy style thing? Um, well, this goes back, way back to 1983, after I wrote my doctoral thesis on biofeedback in 1980. Three years later, um, one of my supervisors says, you know, I know this woman who actually... Uh, fixes ADHD and learning disabilities. Wow. A lot of these kids were uh, problem- problematic. Mm-hmm. And I said, I'll get out of here. This is before the internet, so I didn't, yeah. had not read anything on neurofeedback. Okay. And he introduced me to Margaret Ayers. And uh, uh, that led me to about 17 years referring to her. I had some very difficult cases. She taught me that head injury is the least understood and most underdiagnosed condition yeah. in this the, country. The brain is the most un, ununderstood thing in the universe, really. It is. It is. It's unbelievable. But people make it seem like it is understood. Like when you're a kid, you think that everything is known. And then mm-hmm. I assume as you learn more about it, you're like, oh, we don't know. Oh, gosh. The more that you learn, the more you realize you don't know. Yeah, really, <laughs> though. And do you think we're making any progress with brain uh, electrotherapy or... Uh, what do you call it exactly? Uh, neurofeedback. Neurofeedback. Like, are we making a lot of progress in mapping are, the we, brain? Well, we really are, actually. This is a great time um, because we, we have, with all of the advances in technology and uh, and the neuroscience, we are really starting to make great inroads yeah. in understanding the brain better. I mean, it is the most complex thing we we know of in the universe. Yeah. So we're never going to understand it entirely, but. We are making a lot of progress. I think we'll see a lot of changes in the next just few years. Beautiful. And so another thing that you did while you were um, working, because you've since stopped working? Um, I am officially retired right now. Nice. Yeah. At, least for, at least for the time being. Yeah. We'll see. I'm working on a new project Ooh, what is that it? I might uh, introduce uh, sometime in the summertime. Cool. Something you can't talk about yet? Well, it's yeah, <laughs> it's quite new. I mean, this is all experimental at this point in time, but... 
Um, it is photobiomodulation. Photobio That's the use of uh, certain frequencies of light in the infrared spectrum, mm -hmm. uh, specifically 810 uh, nanometers. Okay. And that improves oxygenation of the blood flow, mm. activates the, uh, the cells in the mitochondria to become more active, and just brightens up the brain. Yeah. So and that's, so you, what, that's you, what I'm working on. You um, show it into people's eyes or on people's skin? No, I do it on the brain. Wow. Directly on the brain. Yeah. That's interesting, man. Yeah. Um, so you might start that up. And in your past, something, because uh, you sent me a list of kind of things that you can talk about. Yeah. And one of them was psychedelic psychotherapy. That's where I kind of wanted to start. Oh, okay. Because that's a very interesting topic that not a lot of people would really delve into. Um, that is true. Um, I don't know. What kind of question would you like to Did you ever answer? Were you ever a therapist for psychedelic psychotherapy? Uh, not, no, not directly. Not directly. No. Um, I was... Um, uh, you know, my by my age, you could you could tell I was from the '60s, and so I did a lot of uh, LSD when I was um, 20 years old. Nice. And um, the problem was back in those days, there was no mentors around to really tell you what to do and how to use it. So yeah. it was all recreational. It was fun and games, and sometimes not so much fun. Um, so I just I set it aside. I decided I was trying to get serious with my career, yeah. and went back to college and just kind of forgot about it. Did it shift your worldview? Uh, oh. Well, uh, yes, it did, yeah. <laughs> clearly. Once you, have, once you have LSD, you're never quite the same afterwards because you start to see things, understand things that are not normally present in your real world. Mm -hmm. This altered state of consciousness uh, gives you a different kind of knowing, even though you may not know exactly what it means, but it's a different kind of knowing. It is. That everything we think is real is only partly true. There's another way of looking at things, another way of experiencing things. So 50 years passed, and Michael Pollan wrote the, his book. Mm -hmm. Becoming the Gods um, or something? Um, what is it, Changing Your Mind? Change Your Mind. Nice. Change Your Mind. About mushrooms? It was about psychedelics. Did you read? No, but Paul? I've heard some of Michael Pollan's. Okay, Pollan's coming to town here in a few, really? in a few months. Yeah. Nice. So they became, he was a best-selling author, and when that book uh, came out, it created quite a stir. It was part of the Renaissance. Uh, of um, psychedelics, mm. the resurgence of it. And plus there's been some research on the, uh, uh, the magic mushrooms, the psilocybin, showing how it uh, helps with PTSD and fears of dying and things like that. So after reading his book, um, oddly enough, my, my wife's mother sent the article from New York Times, for the New York Magazine, about uh, Michael Pollan's uh, summary of his book mm. that he wrote. And uh, so I thought, well, Maybe I should just kind of re-explore this. In the meantime, um, some of my colleagues were interested in psychedelic psychotherapy, and oh, and they turned me on to some books on it. And then I did some massive research, a lot of research. Um, did you look into Rick Strassman at all? Yes, I read just about everybody in the area nice. of the field, and so it, it was quite revelatory to find out that LSD. Um, prior to 1966, was the most studied uh, drug in America. Wow. It has sh showed a lot of potential uh, for psychotherapy, and Canadians were using it for the treatment of alcoholism. They were finding a 50% success rate. Nice. And uh, there was a hospital up there, and, those, uh, and the person, Osmond, wrote down the whole protocol. And so I thought, you know, there might be some value in this. And mm -hmm. so... I started exploring it for myself first, actually just me, <laughs> <laughs> officially. Yeah. And um, I found that even through 
and I have, I have a person who's a sitter for me. Mm-hmm. You always need a sitter. I found that it, it had tremendous value if you had a plan, mm-hmm. if you thought about it, about what you wanted to accomplish, um, and you wrote out your goals, and you had the intention. Is it too personal, or what, were you, what was your intention going into it, if, if you're okay sharing that? Because um, that could be super personal, anywhere from relationship, <laughs> you know, questions. To. Well, I'm sort of on a mission here to use th- these um, plant medicines uh, for personal growth. Mm. And it has been uh, quite powerful, yeah, uh, actually. I'm just amazed that um, I, I certainly um, value and honor talk therapy, um, and I value and honor neurofeedback. But... Psychedelic psychotherapy is a different um, and more powerful way, in, in some cases, to achieving results, mm-hmm. dramatic results in a very short period of time that I believe in some cases would never be able to be achieved in traditional talk therapy. So issues of um, family dynamics, um, issues of uh, parents, of siblings, of uh, traumatic experiences, uh, those can be resolved. And oddly enough, uh, of course, you're in a psychedelic altered state. I mean, you could even go into working with ancestors, mm. which I did. Interesting. Uh, which we never consider doing. And yeah. <laughs> well, it's such uh, a weird woo-woo thing to talk about, you know? But well, then when you're it, there, it you're like, that's real. <laughs> it feels very real. So it's as real as anything could it's be. As real as anything can be. Yeah. And uh, some amazing things can happen. Nice. That uh, one of these days I'll, I'll publish what I've written. Oh, you're going to write a book on it? Is that your summer I project? I don't know if I'm going to write a book on it, but I'm oh. writing about it. Nice. <laughs> I like it. And so... Are you, do you have high hopes in terms of it being accepted and maybe in 50 years it's more accepted? Because it, it used to be prior to the ban, it was a thing, you know, but then now you yeah. think of your, your therapist giving you a psychedelic is like the most taboo thing in the world. Well, um, I would have hopes mm. for the future of psychedelic psychotherapy. It was um, beginning to become established before 1966 and 1967. And then all the research stopped, and nobody, st- people stopped doing it. Mm-hmm. And I would hope that society at some point would expand enough to use this in a, in a wise way, mm-hmm. I, um, you know, way beyond recreational use of these substances. These are sacred substances that should be used uh, in an honorable way. How was using it later in life as compared to your 20s? Like the different different. Oh, timings. world of difference. Yeah. How so? Well, because I'd had a life full of experiences to, to kind of reflect. Uh, on. I had wisdom. Right. I um, was no longer impulsive and just wanted to do things because it was there. Um, also, I was doing it very deliberately. Nice. And um, after a lot of research, because mm-hmm. I basically, I don't, at this stage of my life, I don't like getting stoned. I no. really don't like. I'm always nervous before I do these experiences. Oh, yeah, I'm always like, what are you doing? And the voice always says, are you crazy? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, and they're usually not all that pleasurable when I go through the experiences. They're really not, aren't they? But no. the end result is worth it. Yes. They're it's not like euphoric in the moment. No. They're almost the only substance that's better after the fact. You're like, whew, well, I'm happy I went through that. It's like running a marathon or something where you're like, I'm sure it isn't very fun running it, but after you're like, you know what? I feel accomplished and I learned a bit about myself. And, and it's one of several substances, several plant medicines, I think, that are very valuable. Ayahuasca being one. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, magic mushrooms being another. 
and uh, and MDMA, which mm-hmm. is really not a plant medicine, but it's well, it's, MDA is MDA is from sassafras. Is yes, but well, MD, I guess MDMA we could call it, we could call it that. And these are all powerful. It can be used in a very powerful therapeutic way. Mm. I can see this because I'm, I'm retired. Yeah, I know that's that's, <laughs> that's the pleasure of being that. So um, while you're while you're um, in that altered state of mind, do you do any breath exercises for health, like the Wim Hof method? Or do you have any specific breathing? Here? Well, I thought about doing the Wim Hof method, coming transplant from you know Southern California to here, yeah. <laughs> but it's not as it's not really extreme as I thought yeah. it would be. Um, no, I don't use the Wim Hof breathing method. I, um, I use a, uh, a method. It's uh, sort of like transcendental meditation. Oh, cool! It's the uh, Herbert Benson model. He's a cardiologist who studied. TM, nice. and he found that you don't really have to have a mantra. You can just breathe, and as you exhale, you say something to yourself quietly inside your own mind. Um, just like it could be relax, uh, take it easy, let go, um, all will be well, things are good. Whatever works for you yeah. that resonates in your biology. Yeah. So I do that. That's interesting. I've been doing that, but not necessarily. I like. I learned of TM meditation and the whole mantra, the mind, the mantra that you don't know what the word means and stuff. You never say it out loud. It just didn't resonate with me. So I'm like, well, what do I want in life? And so I've been saying that. And I used to say it like, I'm, you know, I'm gonna be blah blah blah. Like you said, I'm gonna be. Um, I can't remember the word you just gonna, you just said. You said I'm, I'm, I'm gonna be relaxed or something. You said relaxed, and then I'm gonna be uh, something. Well, you, yeah, you can. The way you do this is you find a phrase that resonates yeah. with you. Yes. And you can experiment and try them you can, and you can even change them. Absolutely. But you want to try to find one that really works to um, get into a People state where you He's va- taking his coat off right now. <laughs> Sorry. Nah, I'm making noise. Basically, what you want to do is, is you want to tone the vagus nerve mm. in the body. Okay. And that's the goal. Yeah. That's really the goal of all therapy. It's the goal of of just learning how to live life is to have a good vagus tone. Yeah. And what I mean by that is that we used to um, believe that the nervous system was divided into either the sympathetic or the parasympathetic. Yep. And so for many decades, this is what we, we would talk about in psychology. And then the last 20 years or so, with Stephen Porges coming along, he said, well, you know, when you think about it, when um, when you're stressed, you have the your body gets energized to either do something, but if you get really stressed, you'll go into a freeze. Yep. You won't budge at all, and that the um, uh, when your nervous system is toned, is regulated, mm-hmm. then you should feel relaxed. You should feel um, calm around people. You should feel lightweight. You should feel no fear, and you should be social engaging That's because the goal. we're we're social creatures. Absolutely. When you when your when your body goes into the nervous system, the, say the sympathetic nervous system, and it gets activated, then you get scared. Mm-hmm. Then you can't really loop, be real loose around people. Mm-hmm. And worse, when you get in the freeze moment, then you really can't be social at all. And yeah. what happens is your hearing even changes. Oh, interesting. And you you can't hear the the the, the voice of, of calmness mm-hmm. that you should be receiving from people. Yeah, and so. It tones, it tones your, your nervous system to go. 
When relax. you do that, there's lots of different ways to tone the nervous system, tone the vagus nerve, and one of those is the breathing method. Interesting. That, like that transcendent, that TM model, yeah. just inhale, and as you exhale, you just think something, you say it to yourself. When you do it Calm for a while, relax. you go, you say what? Or what was an example you just said? Um, for me, the one I, and it changes. Yeah. I'll say something like, let go, or just be present. Nice. Um, just relax. Yeah. Calm. Just be calm. And after uh, breathing for a while, do you almost find it hard to breathe without doing it? Like, because when I do it, like either when I'm counting or when I do my mantra, then I'm like, okay, I'm done. I find myself like I stop breathing almost, or I keep breathing, but I keep doing it along with the breath. I'm like, that's really interesting. Uh, it's no, not for me. I, oh, I can stay focused nice. quite a bit. Yeah. But um, oh, I can't. I wish I could remember the exact wording. But one of yours was like. I'm going to be free or something like that. And then I've been reading a lot of Krishnamurti and one of his big like sayings in it that really stuck with me is that the human's um, favorite escape is creating the future. Like, oh, there will be a later date in which I am free or in which I am happy or healthy or wealthy or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And that's really resume with me. It is like, so instead just be like, I am free or I am healthy or I am happy. Like even if you're not healthy at this moment, like you say you have some elbow pain or whatever, just be like, I'm healthy. Uh, Herbert Benson uses uh, the phrase uh, remembered wellness. Remembered wellness. And remembered wellness is when you use that breathing, but you are using it for getting well from from an issue. Mm. So what you want to do is remember how you were before you had this pain or injury or whatever it was. And um, you try to remember it as you do the exhaling, as you do this 10-minute exercise. And you have the confidence that you can get back to that state. Mm -hmm. And it seems to work. I like it. So that kind of falls into (laughs) the thinking that a lot of pain might be psychosomatic. Do you share that belief? Uh, You were all over the place here. (laughs) (laughs) I like to talk about lots lots of subjects. In the brain, um, uh, your... Your pain center is right next to the emotional centers of the brain. Mm. They are just barely overlapping and just touching each other. And so whenever you have physical pain, it's going to activate your emotional pain. Mm. When you have emotional pain, it's going to activate your physical pain. That's interesting. So the question, which is which? Well, in my practice, uh, if I work on dealing with emotional pain, and the physical pain goes away, then we know basically it was emotional pain. Yeah. But if we deal with the emotional pain and the physical pain remains, it's probably like physical pain wow. that's causing the emotional pain. That's so really you have to kind of separate these two out. Yeah. It's funny. Another thing that's like that is that the um, sensory part of the brain for feet in your genitalia are so close. And that's why people <laughs> hypothesize that foot fetishes exist. Because I was looking at my... Uh, partners in A&P right now and there's the brain and I was like that's so funny that f- like feet and genitalia are right next to each other <laughs> so I don't know it's just <laughs> something completely off but similar um, so that's an interesting thing though because I I do, like do you ever have clients come in where they can't explain where their pain come from and then at that point would you assume it's emotional emotional pain that's triggering the physical pain mm-hmm. That's a good question. I don't quite know how to answer that. Mm. If, you mean if a person comes in and they are just in, just like uh, not feeling my good? My shoulders hurt for like a month and nothing ever triggered it. But like if someone like falls snowboarding and then they have knee pain and then they also are mental, like emotionally in pain, you can assume the knee is probably the trigger of it, you know? But like have you ever noticed pain develop in people purely from emotional 
turmoil? Uh, absolutely, yeah. without a doubt. It can be. It can start with emotional pain. Um, also, the um, the body has a memory, and sometimes it'll remember an accident, mm-hmm. and will be bracing. Well, you're physical therapy. You know this part. Yeah. So. <laughs> The body will continue to, to brace, mm-hmm. and and I've had because I used to do a lot of trauma work, and when people get into accidents, if it seems to be life threatening to them, that the 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 brain goes into this trauma state and it freezes a little bit, and so with the trauma, what I would do is the EMDR, have a person remember the experience and then do the eye movement back and forth. I've seen that, and that would with a little light. Uh, I just use my fingers. I was, I was old school. Okay, so I just do like the, yeah. the fingers going back and forth. And the eyes go to the right and the eyes go to the left. And this is something I learned pretty early on in my career. Um, and it works amazing for adult onset um, PTSD. So if you get in a car accident, a motorcycle accident, skiing accident, and you can't go back and do it, mm-hmm. within six sessions or so, I usually got people back wow. on their feet. If it was more complicated, yeah. if they had a prior trauma, um, it was like the uh, the Vietnam War trauma mm-hmm. cases that would come back that um, a lot would get off the plane and they would all have PTSD. But a year later, maybe only 25% had PTSD. The other 75, 75% cleared up. Yeah. Well, what happened to that 25%? Well, mm-hmm. they had an earlier trauma that uh-huh. underlined the Vietnam War trauma. That'd be brutal. And I'm sure the same with the Iraqi war. Yeah. If you can't get over it, there's something typically underneath that. Mm-hmm. And so the EMDR would un- un- uncover what was underneath that. Wow. And then you get resolution. Yeah. Because, you know, historically, this talk therapy was used, and that usually just makes people worse. Really? Talking about their trauma. Oh, yeah. You have PTSD. You don't want to talk about your trauma. Wow. It'll, act- it'll activate things and keep it going and make it worse. Interesting. So you want to go around it and do a different strategy. And EMDR was... It still is the, the treatment of choice. And so when you would help people like this and you'd see people make breakthroughs and pretty much heal, did it just feel phenomenal? Like I imagine you go home with a great sense of helping the world that day. Oh, uh, you get used to it after a while. Yeah. <laughs> but it's always great to see somebody improve. Yeah. Uh, that was always gratifying. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my, my challenge for me was always to try to get people to resolve their issues in a straightforward manner, in a timely manner, mm-hmm. as quickly as reasonable, quickly right. as possible. So I help people to identify what I call core beliefs. Ooh. And the core beliefs are things that um, are the backdrop running your life. Mm-hmm. Like, um, I'll, never, uh, I'll never get ahead in life, I'll never be successful, or I'll, so I'll never... be negative core beliefs. Be, yes, negative, negative core beliefs, yeah. You know, um, I'll never be as good as my sister, or um, did you have there's any, something inherently wrong with me. Did you have any that you overcame? Like any negative core beliefs that you eventually found out at some point in life, and you're like, Jesus, why is that a core belief of mine? Oh, how much time do you have? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, use, I use a lot of what I learned working with my clients on myself. Nice. So I've done a lot of work to... Because I'm a kind of I'm of the generation that the, the baby boomers where I don't really want to get old and I, and I don't want to get sick. 
I, Does anyone? I, I don't want think to maintain, just baby I want to maintain my vitality as yeah. long as I can. And so I, I studied over decades what, what it takes to mm. live long and healthy. Mm-hmm. And um, I do all the regular things, exercise, eat well, uh, sleep well, keep my stress level low. But yeah. when it comes to stress, That's the big one. what you want to do is to really identify um, if there's any underlying things that's going on in your life that sort of started a long time ago that might still be true today, still affecting your biology, because these beliefs affect your physical body. Yeah. And they wear you down over a period of time. And so you want to clear them up as much as you can. As, as you uncover them, you want to let them go. And so, Easier said than done, though. Uh, well, um, it's it's a doable thing. Nice. It's a doable thing. And I think that the... I think the plant medicines have done a lot mm-hmm. in clearing out some things that I wasn't even aware of, I wasn't even consciously aware of. Yeah. Um, so did you ever try ayahuasca or DMT or purely LSD? Um, I've tried um, a lot. Yes. Yeah. Um, ayahuasca was very, very powerful in resolving family dynamic issues, yeah. core issues. Um, the, um, the, did you the, travel the, for it? Yes. Wow. And... Um, for the, um, the for the DMT, that's a s- totally separate discussion because I don't know if it's necessarily is, is therapeutic. People have talked about it being therapeutic in terms of resolving issues. Um, I was one of the lucky ones mm-hmm. in that I had a full-on mystical experience. Nice. With my the first time I tried the um, the uh, the medicine was the strongest psychedelic. I've ever had in my life. And the second was 10 times stronger than that one. And that one just blew me totally away. I had no idea <laughs> that I could go to those, to that place. Yeah. That, Did you it, stop existing? Um, I wouldn't, I, I, these are things of course that are ineffable. You can't really put them into words, but yes. I went to a place where my experience was, I was not, I had no body anymore. I was just pure consciousness. Mm-hmm. And I saw these two large orbs, and they were blue with a little bit of red dot on them, and they were um, they were perfectly designed. I mean, perfectly designed. You could I mean, almost like a fractal design. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I felt like I was in the presence of the source. Yeah. That's what I felt like. Yeah. yeah. And then coming back after that, you kind of get your body back and you're like, what and the heck? When I, when, and when I came back, I realized that any person's conception of God is not what, it's, what yep. God is. It's, you can't put it in words. It's not written anywhere. You have to directly experience it. And it's far beyond anything yes. I ever imagined. But here's the thing. I think if a devout Christian has an experience as profound as you, I think believe that they would experience their conception of God. I think everyone experiences their own, whatever they um, built up over their life is thinking what really happens after you die or what really is the source energy. I think they experience that because I had um, a, a good friend who flew me down, bought me all this gear in California because I got really into it and he had gotten really into it. Um, and he was a devout Christian. He said, I want to do it with other people because I'm seeing angels. Um, and when I go completely out, I see God. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas I, I get a much more experience similar to yours where it's almost becoming a timeless nothingness, but everything. Yeah. And it's yeah. just yeah. unbelievable. And then you come back for me. I just like, I had like on my hand. I'm like, Oh my God, Oh tiger. I'm here. <laughs> and, and then for the next, like, I don't know for me personally, I just like, I messaged every single person on my contacts list, just like a heart. It was like 3am. Yeah. I was just like, Oh, I'm so <laughs> grateful to like 
not have lost all this progress. I was like, I still have yeah. stuff to do there, you know? Yeah. It's a tr- profound experience. It's profound. It is profound. And ayahuasca wasn't as strong, though? I always heard that. Ayahuasca, ayahuasca was different. Ayahuasca, um, you, most people, including myself, come in contact with uh, a feminine spirit. Mm. And ayahuasca puts you into a dreamlike, semi-hallucinatory state. Nice. where you're not quite awake and you're not quite asleep. And in this dream world, this imagery, um, this feminine spirit shows up mm. and is very, very um, thoughtful and very, to me, very kind and considerate mm. and never pushed me beyond my boundaries, nice. but um, pointed out issues of my psyche that nobody could have possibly known. Yeah, I mean, barely even me. And it just basically healed it in real time. That's incredible. It, it's in real interesting time. how <laughs> psychedelics are like the epitome of synchronicity. You're like, how could that have possibly happened? Yeah. You know, and it, it feels like that's like the crest of your life, whereas everything that happened kind of comes to a peak and you learn a lot about yourself and then you kind of come back down. You're like, whoa, that's an unbelievable. That's really cool that someone um, who's been a professional, a PhD, has experienced and is open to talk about this because a lot of people, um, I guess you're retired, so you can. That's the beauty <laughs> of it. Because you couldn't when you were working, I assume. It would be uh, difficult to talk about this openly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I still, I think, I'm still hesitant to talk about it, but, yeah. you know, more people, I mean, Michael Pollan talks about it. Yes. So, hey. He gets to go get speeches about it. <laughs> gets to go speeches about it. Um, Other people are talking about it, too. And so do you have kids? And if, I have no kids. If you did have kids, at what age would you ever promote psychedelics, or what, what would you do in terms of that? That's an interesting thing, you know? Um, uh, well, my, my official position would be... Um, uh, you can't stop kids from doing things like yeah. this available all over the place. Absolutely. I would try to just impart my wisdom of what I know and my concern for mm-hmm. their safety and make sure that they're doing it in a place where um, um, they are safe. Yeah. You know, you, you don't want to do it by yourself. No. Ideally, you always want to have a sitter. But you wouldn't want them to necessarily do it with you. Could you imagine doing it with your parent? <laughs> That'd be overwhelming, wouldn't it? Uh, sorry, parent. I would not do it with my child at the same time. Yeah, no, not at the same time. But like, have your what if your mom or dad was your sitter? Oh, wouldn't that be the strangest? That thing? would be strange. Yeah, I don't think that's. The, but but then again, how would you trust someone else to be with your kid at that most vulnerable time yeah, in their life? Yeah. You know, that's interesting because I've never had a sitter because whenever I experience it, I'm like, I, you know, I don't want someone just looking at me the whole time. And like, it's, it's such an awkward, uh, lapse in yeah. good social skills. Like, I mean, either you can't talk or your talking is extremely inhibited and you have that weird, um, yeah. like, Oh, what do they mean? And what are they saying thing? And it's just like, I don't want yeah, any of that. You should know? definitely be somebody you trust yeah. implicitly. Yeah. And then they're just like sitting over in the corner, like, like in the darkness, just watching, you know, <laughs> Um, but yeah, I would like to go to Peru some, it's funny. So I just went to Kauai and on the plane ride back, mm-hmm. um, there was a 22 year old girl. She might be listening to this. Um, and she was like, yeah, I just went there and now I'm going to go to Colombia alone and do an ayahuasca experience. I'm like, whoa, that's, that's brave. unbelievable. That's brave. And now yeah, I'm like, if that's I was your parent, I'd be like, please go with a friend. Just please go with a friend. You know? <laughs> I'd be like, yeah, 22 year old daughter, go to, go to this third world country to do ayahuasca. I'm like, it's such a interest because there are shamans who like take advantage of people and stuff like that. There've been re- reported cases. That is true. That's spooky stuff that out there, true. man. But, um, so what country did you go to when you did 
experienced it? Um, um, I'm just going to leave that private. Ooh, okay. Part. Interesting. That's okay. Because I think that is something I would like to do later in life. Um, same with Iboga or Ibogaine. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. Oh, yes, I have. Um, that seems like a hell experience. Um, from what I know about it, I've not taken it. I'm not really drawn toward that medicine. No. Uh, it's it's something like a 36-hour experience, <sighs> yeah. and it, uh, it uh, will really throw all the stuff that's wrong with your life right in your face. Psychedelics already do that. And yeah, even more so with Ebola. And I I would recommend it for somebody if you had like a heroin addiction mm-hmm. or if you were really at the very last end and you tried everything else. Yeah. Um and you were ready to do something like that. Yeah. It'd be unbelievable, man. Um Yeah, I don't think I'll ever do that. I think I will go try ayahuasca later in life. It's just, just like you said, like I'm 22, so I don't have the... Got plenty of time. Yeah, you know, but then in my head, I'm always like, as I get older, I think I wouldn't like it as much because I really liked marijuana when I was in my teens and now I already can't like smoke it and I can't drink alcohol. Like I I can, Mm -hmm. but there's, it's like there are things that I've not even grown past, but like I just don't enjoy them anymore. So Mm -hmm. I always have that like thing. I'm like, man, what if I'm... 30 or 40 and I don't enjoy psychedelics anymore. That's not a thing to worry about. Um, with Iowa, with ayahuasca, I think 50% of the people who take ayahuasca, uh, either stop drinking alcohol altogether or they dram- or they reduce their drinking significantly. Yeah. Do you drink? No, it's hard, isn't it? You can feel yourself just poisoning your body. No, I don't drink. After that first ayahuasca experience, I was one of those people that just stopped drinking yeah. entirely. I didn't think about it. Yeah. I didn't have a drinking problem before, but I just didn't have any desire after that. Yeah, I think no, my, no more thoughts about it. My biggest thing that I can't really kick is sugar. Sugar is... Oh, yeah. Oh, it's unbelievable. I don't think ayahuasca is going to cure that one. Because <laughs> <laughs> they, like, they like, that's millions of dollar companies that just design this perfect thing to look and taste exactly like your brain can't get over. You're like, well, I just want more of it. I know it's bad for me, and I know it just makes me want more of it, but God damn it, I want it. You know? <laughs> Well, they say it's more addictive than cocaine. It's, really? it's pretty hard to, to break. Yeah. It Plus is. the sugar is everywhere. It is everywhere. It's everywhere. It's hard to not t- to consume it. It is. Even if you get like an Oddwalla juice, which you think is healthy, mm-hmm. 60 grams of sugar in an eight ounce or in an eight ounce oh, or 12 yeah. ounce. It's unbelievable. I'm like, yeah. come on, throw me a, throw me a bone, you know, make something <laughs> taste good and, um, and take, uh, and, uh, and not be overwhelming with sugar. So as a neuro, neurofeedback person, psychoanalyst, well, yeah. I'm really interested in how to prevent and reverse age-related cognitive decline. Oh, okay. Well, that's, now you're speaking to things I'm very, very interested nice. in. <laughs> not that I'm not the interested in the other topics. Yeah. Um, uh, first thing you need to do is to make sure that you are staying physically active. That's number one. Yeah. So if I was going to be interviewing, talking to somebody who is like 50 years old or 55 or 60, uh, I would say, number one, be physically active every day. Even if it's just walking? Even if it's walking. Nice. You wanna, and I, I'm a big proponent of, of what's called the, um, the peak eight, which is interval training. Mm. Um, that's because Irving Dardick, who was the medical re- director of the U.S. Olympic team in 1980, discovered that marathon runners got sick often, but oh. sprinters rarely ever got s- sick. Interesting. And so his studies showed that if you want to really be cardioprotective and, and protect your immune system, build your immune system, you want, to, you want to do interval training. So you want to get the heart rate up really high and then drop it back down again. Okay. And so um, 
what I did for years and years and years was the peak eight. So I would sprint for about 30, 45 seconds as fast as I could and then stop for a minute or two and then sprint again. And I was doing that all the way up until last week until I hurt my knee. So now, uh, wait, it's it's getting better. Um, The the second thing you want to do is... um, uh, is to eat properly, and that's to minimize the amount of meat that you consume, especially red meat. You want to be mostly vegetarian, mostly vegeta- the Mediterranean diet is what I recommend. Okay. Uh, eat moderately so that you are not gaining weight, yeah. so you are normal weight. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you um, aren't normal weight, even if you weren't, I would still recommend periodic fasting. Yeah, for how long? Fasting is where you, uh, at least 12 hours, ideally mm. is 16 hours. Nice. But not like multi-day, like not three-day You could fasting. do it once a week, you do it twice a week, you could do it, depends upon how fast you want to, yeah. how, how well you want to do this. I mean, not you fasting do it for like two or three days. No. Because no. I really want to really do a seven-day fast at some point in my life. I'm going to try to bulk those up. Are, those are good for detoxing. Yeah, yeah. just get some fast stores and then boom. Do it. And so periodic fasting helps the body reset itself, nice. helps the insulin um, reset itself in so the body and reduces inflammation. The, this is all coming back to the mind's entirely connected to how healthy you keep your body overall is what it sounds like. Well, if you don't have a healthy body, you're going to have a hard time having a healthy mind. Absolutely. <laughs> you want to keep your body in good shape. But in terms of, do you think there's anything like learning, like constantly learning more things will keep your brain more active? Absolutely. That's what I do. I read a lot. Nice. So I read at least a book a week. A book a week? Or at least, yeah. Fiction, nonfiction? It's all science. Wow. It's all nonfiction in the area of interest that I have. That's really cool, which has lately been um, the imaging, the light sensitivity? Mm, well, more recently, it's um, uh, I'm trying, uh, I'm reading authors who are out-of-the-box thinkers Ooh, in cool. medicine. Yeah. So um, a guy named President at UCLA for Alzheimer's. It's a guy named Tom uh, Cowan, who's a physician who uh, wrote a book about the, the heart is not a, uh, not a pump. Yeah. It's actually not. And uh, so it's just, I'm looking at different paradigms uh-huh. to work with. Um, and I can't think of all the books that I'm reading right now. But no. I have, I have, That's crazy. Cause the I library can... here is really great. I love going here and they're a great selection yeah. in Eugene. That's really cool. So you don't go on like PubMed and read articles. You read like books by authors, like Michael Pollan's book. Yeah, I read, I read books pr- predominantly. Interesting. You have a top handful that have impacted your life more than any of the others? Oh, wow. <laughs> I imagine if you read one a week, you probably read a thousand books. Um, Eckhart Tolle is really amazing. Eckhart Tolle. Cool. The Power of Now. Power of Now. Um, that's a great book. Mm-hmm. And his whole premise is that if you really want to wake up, if you really want to be um, fully conscious in your life, you learn how to be in the present moment. Yeah. And easier said than done, obviously. Yes. But um, to learn how to be present in life and learn how to be joyous in your life and learn how to be in a state of constant awe mm-hmm. in your life. Yeah. And that's what, that's what I work toward. Well, it's interesting that you say consciousness, because I've been more delving into, I think consciousness is the antithesis of happiness. I think times when you're most conscious is when you're the least in the moment. I think when you're the most in the moment, you're the happiest, you're the healthiest, you're just feeling really good, is when you have a lack of consciousness. And I think we almost go toward that. We go do extreme sports, we have sex, we have, do we do all these things to try to 
be most in so in the moment that we're not thinking about we're in the moment you know so i almost think consciousness mm-hmm. fights that but i don't know you, you do think you can you think you can be consciously in the moment um absolutely i think you can teach yourself to be present and you're so you're not really focused on the past you're mm-hmm. not focused on the on the future your brain knows how to deal with stress your brain knows how to deal with the events that's coming up yeah. your goal is really to be present in your own life because it's passing by and the only way you can really be in your life is to be present while it's happening to be fully open and fully conscious yeah. so your brain and this is something you learn through entheogens is um, your brain creates a story about reality it is always making up stories about it. Mm-hmm. And the, the story that we all share is this consensual reality. It's, yep. it's called the CR, okay. conventional consensual reality. Mm-hmm. But um, Would you want to explain that for a second? Well, there's lots of different ways of constructing reality as we see it. From a different, if you're a different language, different culture, you're going to see reality slightly different. 100%. You're going to constrain. So the words that you use and the beliefs that you... that you, you believe behind those beliefs. And, um, and, and, and it's important not to take all this too seriously. In other words, you don't take your reality seriously yeah. because you know it's all made up. Yep. And you're sort of co-creating it all the time. Mm-hmm. And your preconceived belief system actually shapes what you see and what you what you kind of what you believe is there is kind of what you see is there. Yeah. If you believe something is not there, you're not going to see it. Literally, you you'll be blind to it. Yeah. And um, so I think this idea of expanding consciousness is becoming more open and more aware of what's going on, mm-hmm. and be more present in the world, and not trying to judge it, not try to categorize it, not trying to label it, yeah. um, and be aware of your reactions to the world, but realize that's not you. It's just your reaction to the world. You can get an inner peace if you get to this point. Well, it's definitely co-created by those around you. Like if you're surrounded by people who all act one way, your reality is so strongly influenced by them that I don't think you have complete autonomy over it unless you also take the autonomy over who you surround yourself with. Well, you want to to surround people that are are lifting you up. Yes. And that see the world in a way that validates your your world Mm -hmm. and so have you always been kind of consciously aware of all these things or was there a point in your life where you became you almost like clicked on you're like oh my gosh i'm here what am i going to do with my time oh this is a 50-year process okay interesting (laughs) yeah yeah where it feels continual because like i i more more recently felt like oh my gosh i'm finally like i'm here present whereas for a long time like definitely in your youth i don't think anyone's Maybe you're so in the present that you're not conscious of being in the present. Well, you have the, you have the advantage, I think, in, in at your age that that you're, you have the advantage of the people behind you have made it easier for you to 100%. get to where you are today. That's yep. the, the morphogenic field. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people have made it a, an opening, so to speak, and the, and the, and it gets larger all the time. So more people can become aware of this. Yeah. It's a phenomenon that's occurring. It's an awakening that's going on. Mm-hmm. Do you think it is ex- exponential? Absolutely. Me too. But what's at the end of it? That's the most intriguing thing, isn't it? We don't know. I think uploading. I think we will be able to eventually upload our consciousness to some sort of computer that's eventually connected to a Dyson sphere. That you know. We <laughs> we are at an interesting um, crossroads mm-hmm. for humanity. Yeah. 
we have on one hand this ex- tremendous hope that we will be able to use the technology and our advancement of consciousness to create a much better world. Yeah. But at the same time, we have another trajectory yeah. that's going on simultaneously. We're rapidly destroying habitat for humanity. Yeah. So the very things that allow us to be alive yeah. is being degraded and destroyed. I know. And that's happening exponentially. And at some point, we as humans will have to make a decision. Okay, what direction are we really going to, are we going to wake up? Mm-hmm. Are we going to shift our consciousness and then do a radical um, change in our angle? And it's, it's, it's the emergent property of the human species. Yeah. Very similar to when you see birds flying and a flock, and all of a sudden they'll make a left-hand turn. Mm-hmm. Or you'll see fish swimming, and all of a sudden they'll bolt to the right or left. That whether humans are going to do this or not remains a question. You know what I think would help We don't know. Anyone who holds a position of power like politics should have to go through an ayahuasca session or something (laughs) along those lines. I mean, it's hard to not have some sort of just awareness of the impact you're having on the world if you've experienced that. Like once a year, anyone in power politics should have to. I mean, pretty radical idea. I think it'd be a good idea. Oh my gosh. Can you imagine doing as much horrible, horrible things that are going on while having to be confronted by it once a year? You'd be like, fuck. All right. I'll help out people. It would change politics. It would change politics for sure. Um, So I don't know. And it's a question I've grappled with for a long time. I mean, I, I think it was 1997. I was watching... Um, some documentary on the PBS channel and it was um, um, some famous actress who was saying, well, we have we have 10 years left. If we don't make some changes in 10 years, it's going to be too late. Well, I think it was like 1997. Yeah. 10 years came and went. Now 20 years have come and gone yeah. and we're still doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. Worse, we're doing pedal to the metal. We're doing everything harder and faster. And it's just interesting how we as a species are choosing to do this. I, my theory is that it is really a denial of death that we as humans have a built in mechanism Mm -hmm. to protect us from the fact that we're mortal and that there's something in the human species that as we have gotten larger and larger with the numbers, now we're at seven billion now, almost eight. Almost eight. That we collectively, I think, know that we're in trouble. Yeah, we know this somewhere, but because <clears throat> it's almost like the closer we get to it, the more we want to deny that this is actually happening. Mm-hmm. It's almost as if we're suicidal as a species. It's almost like there's a built-in destruct, self-destruct mechanism. Mm-hmm. And again, it goes back to this question: um, Are we, as a species, number one, are we as a species going to pull this out? Number two, um, what can we do individually? And it's not recycling, certainly not that. <laughs> At this point in time, this is no, a lost cause. No, it's really changing our consciousness. This is what I really live my life doing: mm-hmm. is changing my consciousness yeah, and changing the consciousness of a because, lot of listeners. Because. My belief is, if I can put myself into a position where I can face my own death, Mm -hmm. I'm okay. And I had an epiphany on this. Okay. And the epiphany was that I hate 
facing the fact that I'm I'm going to die. It's a very powerful emotion. It brings up a lot of sadness, and discontent. Um, it's a miserable feeling. But the other side of that feeling, I feel really alive. Complete liberation. I am really alive for a while yeah. Yeah. until it sneaks back up on me. I, I do that damn thing again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I hope that at some point it'll get easier and easier for me to just face it and 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 my job I see is liberating myself my consciousness and and somewhere in the universe in what I call the the field of infinite possibilities and if you've done plant medicines you know what I'm talking about you go to a space mm-hmm. where there's no it's non-local it's um, out of space and time but it's it's everywhere all at the same time is to put my energy into that field. Collectively, if other people do that, maybe there's a hope of the flock of birds changing at the last second. Yeah. For us all collectively to do something different, to wake up. Yeah. And I don't know what percentage that takes. Um, but I do my part. Yeah. And I do it privately, I do it quietly, and a few people that I know. Mm-hmm. And we talk about these things. Well, it's a really interesting thing because you got a kind of question like, is this all necessary? Like, does there have to be a conscious being existing in the universe? Like what would happen if we all blipped out? Would anything bad happen? And then it kind of brings you to the point of like, well, why did reality or time ever click on? Why is there anything rather than nothing? You know? And yeah, well, a similar, similar question. Why does the human species have to continue? Yeah. That, that's sort why of does thing, it really right? have is to continue? I mean, for is, us is, if, if we disappear, planet earth will, continue on as far as i know mm-hmm. the next, the next four, civilizations are going to be until the next four, you know, four billion years until yeah. the sun blows up and then in case we'll be no earth anymore mm-hmm. so and and i thought about that too i thought well okay if we disappear maybe in three or four million years there'll be another intelligent species that has self-awareness mm-hmm. and it um realizes they're going to die and they form civilization or do something different yeah. so it continues on mm-hmm who are we to say that we are the ultimate? Do you think there, well, there's the funny uh, Ishmael story about how jellyfish tell stories, how they're the end of evolution, how all, you know. <laughs> um, but do you think there's any other conscious, like self-aware, that's a better word for us, self-aware creatures? Like, do you think? Well, we know that um, I think chimpanzees and elephants recognize themselves in the mirror. Mm. Um, and they, may, they have a little bit of theory of mind. Mm. But is that really but, self-awareness? We don't know that. Yeah. We don't know. We can't really figure that one out yet. Yeah. But we know that octopuses are pretty darn smart. Pretty and smart. we know that uh, um, dolphins are pretty smart. Mm-hmm. But dolphins never went to war with each other with weapons. <laughs> but So do you want to hear my theory on consciousness? Really yeah, quick? go ahead. Sure. And it's kind of out there. So I think... I think that all consciousness is kind of gradiated. Like I think ants are the most basic. They have like one line of code or like 10 lines of code. They know to go there, bring it back. And then you get bigger, like rats have a bunch of lines of code and and then humans, like we're one of the most complex things we need to like, we're shitting and we're looking at our phones and then we have to go to work and like we have all these things going on. And then, so I was at the Hindu monastery when in Kauai and they burn the body when they die to get the, the energy back in the cycle as quick as you can. But I think if you burn the body, all your turned to carbon that goes into the air and in the ground and then it take a long time for you to eventually get put back into trees and then eaten by an herbivore then a carnivore okay. and then into the, biggest, recycled, the yeah. biggest brain possible so i'm like i want to be fed to a lion you know <laughs> or something like that like i want to be fed i want to skip all that in the cycle i want to just immediately have a lot of my energy put right back into the, you know like a baby lion so a lot of it gets put into those neural um so i don't know that's but like we don't know 
And I think there's no real good explanations that don't have um, things that can completely devalue their existence. Like I think all the religions have faults right now. They're great. They work for the people they work for. Um, but a lot of people, they don't. And I think there is a big question of why are we here? What's going on? Why is there anything that uh, there needs to be some some new solutions or answers for, you know? Mm-hmm. Do you have any? Plant medicines. <laughs> ah, I know. Then you kind of develop your own, right? I mean, you had to have... You start to know things personally mm-hmm. that are not told to you. And they might not be for downloads. I think they're, down, they're downloads. You can they call are. them downloads. They're unbelievable. They, you get downloads. But yeah. here's the thing. I don't think they always translate to other people. I don't think what makes sense for me makes sense for everyone. But I think, no. yeah, but I think we could both have completely different views of all those questions. And I think it's innately true to both of us, you know? I mm-hmm. don't know. Um, uh, it, it's just a fun thing to think about, but it's sure. something that we as a society are taught not to think about because it's not productive. You're not creating wealth. You know, so it's like, that's the last thing you hippies should be thinking about. You know what? Let's ban them. Let's ban those, those substances. But I think they'll come back. And I think as it surges, I think that'll be the, the awakening that you're talking about. I, I have an optimistic view of the future. I think everything is heading in a good direction. Good. Good. I'm and that's important. Glad, glad you do. Um, I'm actually going to go to my first uh, sunrise movement meeting tomorrow, which is the whole youth climate change, Greta Thunberg oh, thing. Okay. I'm not a big fan of Greta, but... Um, I, you know, it's fun. It's fun to just go do different things, mm-hmm. see what it's like. Um, cause for, I always take the, the devil's advocate. Like I had a, a really passionate person about climate change on my show. And then later he sent me a, like a group request to join. Him. I'm like, you know what? I'm not really for cl- I'm against the climate, you know, just mm-hmm. as a joke to be like, well, all right, what's yeah. this? And then it's like, <sighs> I'm just, I'm, I'm kind of mad at how all the climate change people approach it. They think, oh, we'll set a rule. Like you have to tax it and then it'll be enforced. But I'm like, but no countries enforce other countries. China can just break it. We're not going to enforce it. That is the dumbest solution ever. And then they just keep reiterating the problem. Like, what are you guys thinking? Try a different tactic, you know? So that's why I'm kind of against like a lot of those groups. And I have the, the one of the answers that makes the most sense is everything you buy costs that there's a carbon tax on it that goes directly to the industry. Like the amount of money it costs to recycle that can't or like, I mean, they kind of have that. But the, for airplanes, it's $100 extra to pay for a carbon farm to run for long enough to take all the CO2 out that you put in by flying or, you know, Mm -hmm. like directly direct carbon or direct uh, externalities that, that cover the cost of what you're doing rather than like, Oh, it just costs more because the money goes to the government and the government isn't necessarily going to put that back into anti-climate. Like, you know, unlikely. No. So it's just, it's just making it more expensive and that's not the solution. Mm -hmm. So because of that, I don't like anyone that presents problems without a solution. That's reasonable. I so, like that. But so you you believe? I think one of the other things that you sent is uh, how to emotionally deal with the cl- uh, current climate disruption. Mm, yeah, you want me to talk about that? Yeah, give it. <laughs> <laughs> That's a big topic. Do you want me to grab you some I water? Can really only, no, I'm good. Cool. Um, from my vantage point, and I've been tracking. Um, climate change, environmental, environmentalism since 1972. Um, the trajectory that I see mm. humans on right now is one of more carbon, mm. um, more energy demands, um, more exploration of fossil fuels. Mm. Um, I don't see any slowdown. No. As the population continues to grow, 
and the world economy gets a little stronger, there'll be more and more demands for energy. And we're just not really interested on doing anything but the cheapest way of doing energy, and that's oil and gas. That's where it's at. That's where the money is. Well, the whole thing is that's so coupled right now. And Yeah. And our capitalism, the way we've all agreed to do business, is profits before everything. And truly, it's profits before everything. Everything. Mm -hmm. And where I see us headed is not good. Mm. It's not a good outcome. You have a pessimistic view. I have a realistic viewpoint. Ah, that's what pessimists say. I just just do the math. And I I look at what's happening to the climate, and we are in climate disruption, climate change now, soon to be climate disruption. Mm -hmm. Um, And people, some places in the world already are having climate disruption right now. Uh, Siberia had like the worst wildfires ever Mm. uh, this last year. And we're breaking all... Australia. Australia is just totally on fire. And we just started in terms of temperature increases. It will start going up faster and faster as time goes on. So my my point is this, is find something you like doing and do what you love. Mm -hmm. Find your passion in life and do your passion. What if it's burning tires? have, (laughs) Have people around you that are on your frequency. Have good relationships. Learn how to love. Um, Do you think you love? Yeah. You love? Do I love? Yeah. That's a broad term. It's a broad term. Everyone <laughs> says they love. Everyone says, I, I, I'm just, I'm starting to be against everyone being like, all there is is love. Love's the ultimate like energy and force in the world and everyone. I don't think anyone really loves. I don't think. I think so. Okay. I mean, I mean, if you have a wife, you love your wife, but then if she stops pretty much being something how about, that, how about a know. position of non-judgment and acceptance i work? don't think that exists i don't know a single person who unconditionally loves anyone in their life do you have you ever had you've had someone in your life where they could take all your money and fuck someone else you'd hate them you wouldn't unconditionally still love them unconditional love i don't think exists what if they gained 200 pounds and started smoking cigarettes would you still love them and be with them you know it's a thing that I think people spout off, but I don't think anyone actually unconditionally loves anyone except for maybe a friend. There's the whole meta, uh, uh, meditation where it's just, yeah, there's that's, a meta. yeah unconditional loving, yeah. but that's for un that's for relationships that aren't super tricky at first, at least, you know? Well, I understand your point. It's a difficult thing. Yeah. Difficult thing. Um, and I'm not saying that's how it is. I'm no, saying that's good, my vantage no, point. I think, I think it's a good conversation. I, I think that, that ultimately it's impossible to to prepare for climate um, uh, disruption. Mm-hmm. Um, it will surprise us all yeah. when it happens. And some will be more prepared than others. I don't think anybody's completely prepared because, um, and I hope it doesn't la- happen in our lifetime, um, but I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's really hard to say. We're dealing with... Um, uh, chaos theory here, so anything goes. Yeah. That um, I mean, I do. To me, I live my life in preparation for my for my end, because mm-hmm. I know everyone's life is finite. Mine is finite, 
And I used to think that that the uh, climate collapse was a horrific thing, and it disturbed me deeply. But I realized a lot of my own death anxiety was folded into that. Mm -hmm. And so as I dealt with my own death anxiety, it became more manageable. Also, these are things that one has to ultimately accept. Mm-hmm. You're sort of forced to accept things you can't change. You're not going to control over it. You can protest all you want, fight it all you want. But you know, if a tsunami is coming toward you, um, it's coming toward you, yeah. and there's nothing you can do about it. Yeah. So you check to see how much time do I have before the tsunami hits. Mm-hmm. And if it's two days or three days or whatever, then you, you live your life the best you can during Absolutely. that time. You live, you live, you live alive. Yeah. You become alive mm-hmm. because that's all there is to do left. Yeah, but there is the alive. duality of everything. Where um, if you told people uh, protesting the Vietnam War that they should just accept the tsunami, they wouldn't have done it. But there, there's, there's proof that their protesting did help. You know, so I think it's. I was point, one of those protesters. Yeah. You were. Oh yeah. And it helped. You made a difference. It helped make made a change. You know. So I, I, I yeah. do think that enough people uh, kind of raising their hands at God or whatever powers that be, these like these things that seem inert might actually make a difference, you know, and you, it's, it's always, uh, you know, perspective from hindsight. I think That's, we should, if, if, if you are called to try to stop what's happening, then mm-hmm. definitely follow your calling. Don't let us rob you of peace of mind. Don't That's let rob you of really peace of mind, to. yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm with you there, yeah. man. Do you, do you take that for Trump too? I ask. I, I I tend to ask question a lot of people this. Do you let him rob you of peace of mind? Not at all. Nice. That's beautiful. Because um, Trump, it took me a while to understand this. Trump is the perfect president for America. <laughs> he represents he, America. He represents. We're fat, greedy slobs. He re- he represents what America is. Good point. This I haven't thought who, of it that this way. This is who we are. As soon as I mean, you say we don't it, don't like it, but yeah. this is. We hate to see it in our face, but this mm-hmm. is this is who we are as a nation. Yeah, and it's just other presidents have been did a good job of not showing that side. Yep. Even underneath, that's what they were. Yeah, he doesn't care. That's a really good point, man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so do you have hope that someone like Bernie will will get in? No, you don't have any hope. You think Trump will win again? I think I'll Yeah, I think he'll win again. Nah. I think he'll be, and if he and if he doesn't, we'll see somebody following him who will, who will not make any changes. <sighs> That'd almost be worse. Shaking things up is almost better than no change. Because if look, no change is made, look what happened with Obama. I mean, he made all these promises in eight years. Basically, did status quo. I know. Same thing. It's horrific. There, there are economic and political forces running the scene behind the presidency dude i've so wondered that i've wondered that like as soon as you get into the office if they pretty much say all right if you if you actually stop this war or if you actually make this law we're, we're gonna kill you like you you do what we tell you or, or you're gonna you're gonna be the fourth president to be assassinated or whatever that number is and then you pretty much don't have a say you know like that's kind of my job like there's truly there's billion dollar companies at stake i doubt they don't have assassins and i don't i doubt they wouldn't make a threat you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> no, I, I, th- I think you're right. I, th- I think once you get in that position, you realize, either directly or indirectly, mm-hmm. that if you go along with the plan, you will become very, very wealthy. Obama is going to become the first billionaire pre- ex-president. Really? Oh, yeah. I didn't know that. And if you, um, if you don't go along, then your life will be hell. Yeah. Seems like a messy job, man. Politics just... <sighs> 
here's the thing. If Trump was everything that he made himself seem, like if he actually cleared the swamp and if he actually like helped all these things, it would be like, dude, that's incredible. But it's just the fact that he didn't is such a bummer, you know? But that's politics. Politicians always lie. That's how they get elected. Don't they? That's what they do for a living. Uh, it's a horrific, <laughs> horrific, horrific thing. But again, if they all took psychedelics, it'd be pretty <laughs> I think people would stay a little bit truer to their thing, man. Um, Pass that cup of ayahuasca. That's so funny. Hey, Trump, take this, uh, take this MDMA and get some empathy. He's <laughs> like, oh my God, <laughs> tear down the wall. <laughs> no. But, it, but here's the thing. I think you need an even balance of Democrats and Republicans because... If it was all Democrats everywhere, the world, you know, I think we'd, we'd be overtaken or some some I, I don't think we would be. But if it's only Republicans, then you don't take care of what we have. I think you need an even but, balance. But the money that's supporting the Democrats is the same money that's re- supporting the Republicans. I don't see much any difference. Yeah. No, there are two sides of the same. Except they're on basically. teams and they have to stick with their teams. They're not allowed to um, be a Republican who's like, you know, but I think Bernie makes some points about Medicare for all. It's. You know, I'm going to do that. He'd be eaten alive by his party. I think all um, elected presidents should have a, a vice president of the opposite seat. Almost like I think Rome did that. They had two elect. Maybe. I, don't, I can't know. remember. No, I, you know. But anyways, um, well, I like it, man. Um, I appreciate your time. It's been an hour. What, what else you got? Wow. How to live a long and disease-free life. I guess we kind of touched on that. With we just touched on that, yeah. Stay healthy. Stay healthy and have um, a good mental attitude. Yeah. Learn how to... Not take things so seriously and yeah. not be stressed out. Stress is the big killer. I'm really starting to believe that. Like if you're stressed, you're not in the moment. You're not in the moment. You're going to develop more pain and mental anguish. And then if you're in pain and mental anguish, of course, you'll do things like smoke and not eat healthy. You know, do good. You feel good. You feel good. You do more good. I think it's like a I think it's all just cycles, whichever way you get yourself. But then you got a question if you're kind of if you don't have very much death anxiety anymore. Do you think it does something like all this good that you're doing in your life is going to do something at the I didn't end? I say all my death anxiety was gone permanently. <laughs> <laughs> it creeps back, but I do my best to to deal with it when yeah. it shows up. Because to me, that that was a, that was a major discovery that I felt just a lot more alive. We all have death anxiety; we can't get away from it. Mm-hmm. It's everywhere, and I think. Um, so it has uses. Yes. Like I have death anxiety of getting in a car crash. You drive safer. Well, <laughs> you want to protect your body. Yeah. yeah that's kind of an instinctual kind of a thing. Yeah. yeah. So that's what I mean. Like, I think we instinctually yeah. have a lot of death anxiety to tell us not to do things, you know? But you want to, you don't want to have a death wish. You don't want to be doing things that are self-destructive. Yeah. And this is, this is one of the, what I saw as a psychologist was that individuals, um, even with good insight and good catharsis, would still act in ways that's not in their best interest. Mm. And that puzzled me for a long time, but I figured out what that's about. What's it about? Uh, it's, it's about your self-talk. It's about your belief system that you're not partly always consciously aware of mm-hmm. that's out to get you. Yeah, you have a voice inside your head that if you were to listen to it um, carefully, it's really not your friend. And it's telling you to do things is not your best interest. You have really? basically two points. It's a whole different discussion. Yeah. Is that you have two hemispheres, mm-hmm. your right and your left. And forget about everything you know about those two differences. But we actually have different personalities in one hemisphere versus the other. Mm-hmm. And one half of your brain is more mature than the other relative to the other. Mm-hmm. And it's the other half of your brain that 
is the more childish part, the one that never quite matured exactly. And so the mature side is always trying to get a handle on that side of your personality. But if you listen to that voice inside your head, it would cause you to do things that would shut your life down. Mm. The mature side or the immature the side? The immature side. Immature side would shut your life down. It would, mm. If you listen to it exclusively, your life would get smaller and smaller and less and less value in your life. So you, obviously you want to try to listen to the other side, mm. which will expand your life. Yeah. You're always getting better and better. And these two sides are pretty much evenly balanced in most people. But if you're successful, you tend to be more on the healthy side. Yeah. If you tend to be not so successful, the other, the, the, the less mature side tends to be an upper hand more often than not. Mm-hmm. So you think it boils down to two more or less personalities? Because I think everyone's an amalgamation of thousands of different personalities that two. they picked up from watching TV or different yeah, things. Oh yeah, yeah, we have that. We have but two, it boils down we have to two major ones. Two major ones. Two one's major the childish ones. and one's the not childish. But who's to say one's better? I mean, I think... If your child decides, like, you should take today off work and go on a walk, and your mature side's like, no, go spend eight out more hours looking at a, a screen. Like, what if the going on the walk helps you? What if it prevents you from like getting to the point where you're so burnt out that you quit your job, you know? Like, I think a healthy, I don't think either side of your brain is necessarily bad. I mean, you, you know way more, so I'm just talking out my ass here. Well, they're, <laughs> they're not bad or good, they just are. Okay. And uh, the challenge is to strengthen the mature side. Nice. Which is why I did a lot of them during my career. Yeah. Because I didn't just do neurofeedback. I was about half my practice the last 20 years. The other half, I continued to do talk therapy. Yeah. And I was uh, do different approaches that would be designed really to strengthen the mature side. It's interesting they say mature and immature side. Because I would almost say it boils down to good and bad uh, for your well-being. Like, like you could have negative self-talk like, oh, I'm probably not going to get this job. That's not mature or immature. It's almost you could argue mature to, for you to like be like, oh, I'm going to plan for the bad outcome. But then the immature side, you can be like, no, I'm going to apply for that job even though I only have three out of the four qualifications. I'm going to do it. You know, I think I think if you should feed the side that's more optimistic as opposed to pessimistic, I think it breaks down to that, if anything. You definitely want to be optimistic in life. Yes, it has a big, but but it's funny that you 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 call it realism, but I really think that a pessimistic view um, of a lot of these things, like you're pretty much just saying, like you know, like climate change is a tsunami that's just going to hit us, like unless, I think, uh, unless a miracle happens, yeah. But a miracle has always happened. Every foreseeable um, thing, I think humanity has always combated that, like food crises, and except for those horrible scenarios where like Stalin and Mao and stuff, but. A lot of foreseeable things we always We are extremely overcome. adaptable species. We are. It's only the things like Super we're, Bowl We're, we're we innovative, yes. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I think... <sighs> but you stop to grow food. Yeah. I know. This and when the temperature stuff. gets too high, it's going to be hard to grow the food. It is. And it's all going to shift. I mean, I think a lot of coffee plants and chocolate plants, they're in like this perfect area, and it's going to shift up where it's warm enough to grow them. Yeah. So they're, they're all going to die, and they're going to have to replant them. That's what's happening. Everything's moving north, yeah. If we want fish, we have to stop acidifying the oceans. Yeah. It's a horrific, horrific thing going on. But let's, <laughs> let's end it in a positive view. What are, what are some okay. things that you, you do that kind of like bring a lot of good into your life, like make you more in the present? Do you chase or do you meditate? Have you ever gone to a meditation retreat? Um, I actually um, sponsor what's called the Power of Eight Healing Circles here Ooh. in town. So... Um, a group of us gets together uh, once a week and we use the power of intention. And so each person gets a chance to, uh, over a period of time, uh, usually two people in one evening, will state an intention. And so it could be, I want to become 
um, you know, I pain my back, I'd like for it to go away, mm -hmm. or um, I want to figure out what to do with my career, or whatever it is, and that person states the intention, and then we use the work of uh, Lynn McTaggart. She wrote a book called The Power of Eight. Okay. She also wrote The Intention Experiment in the Field. Mm -hmm. And um, then the, the other people in the group, then for 10 minutes, we all focus on helping that person achieve the intention in mm -hmm. silence. So we all bring about our own healing energies, mm -hmm. and we um, find, as Lynn McTaggart finds, that the person in the center is not the only one who benefits. Ooh. Everybody in the circle benefits. Their yeah. lives begin to improve just mm -hmm. by being completely altruistic. That um, it's the one thing I've discovered in my life where it's truly non-dualistic in the sense that we usually have to decide are we being um, selfish or being altruistic here. Mm -hmm. I mean, all of humanity is based upon this um, this clash between these two forces. And when you we do the power of eight... Everybody wins. Yeah. So you're being selfish in this. You're being altruistic in the sense that you are putting energy out to help somebody else, mm -hmm. but simultaneously you're being selfish because you're getting a lot out of it. Yeah. So it's a win-win situation for everybody who who attends these circles. Can people listening hypothetically reach out to you? And could you? Would you be able to make it bigger? Or more uh, they often? have to email me. Yeah. Cool. Or call me. Yeah. You can. Put my email I'll out put there. your email on the thing. It's interesting that you said that that's the duality because I think that's the big misconception is that you can either manipulate the world around you for your own benefit at their cost or yeah. their benefit for your cost, which is a pipe dream. Or I think you can benefit or do it in mutually beneficial situations. Like something like this, I think is mutually beneficial. You get to speak to hundreds of people. I mm -hmm. get to have another episode for my show. Exactly. You know, whereas yeah. I'm not like, oh, I'm going to manipulate by I get something out of this and you don't, you know, like I think, I think a lot more situations tend to be mutually beneficially manipulative rather than I don't think anyone almost ever, except for maybe for your kid does something for someone else with nothing for yourself, unless it's, you're feeling good and mm -hmm. that's still doing something for mm -hmm. yourself, man. Yeah. So I, I think a lot of the world should move toward mutually beneficial games, situations, like not zero sum things like money or like necessarily like money's not zero sum, but, um, status like, Oh, I'm better than you now. So you have to be worse than me. Like it, it's things where everyone gets up a little bit, you know, mm -hmm. like, mm -hmm. so, so it's, um, it's an uplifting experience for every, everybody who oh, okay. attends that. I'd like to come sometime. Okay. I'll send an email. Maybe, maybe, I mean, how big of circles can you have? Uh, we limit it to eight mm. and maximum nine. Okay. And, um, then I have like waiting lists and if it gets too large, then maybe a second one. Might nice. be but I just started this like six months ago. It's all been word of mouth. Yeah. I, like I don't it. advertise it at all. Yeah. I figure it's going to be, it needs to grow organically. Yeah. You know? well, this is organic growth yeah, right who, here. I'm interested. Who shows up, shows who yeah. shows up. And some people will come one time and they, it's not for me. That's fine. Beautiful. Other people go, boy, I've been can, waiting for, I've been looking for a place like exactly like this. <laughs> yeah. I like it. How often do you do it? Once a week? Once a week. Nice. Yeah. Once a week. Beautiful. Thank you very much for your time, man. Do you have anything else you want to say? No, thanks for interviewing me. It's uh, been enjoyable. Has been. All right. Have a great day, man. All right. Thanks. Bye.